At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. It's Yasser, and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions, and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Gerard will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that is at the Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Let's dive, let's dive straight in, man. Um, obviously, the last series that we did was around developing. Uh, this time around, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to develop a model um, and what that potentially could have for different people in different environments. But, you know, we'll start off there, straight with the first topic of the, of the, of the series, coaching philosophies. You know, what, what can we all agree on? So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Where does your mind take you to straight away on that? Yeah, I know we had a really good chat about this. It'd be great to get people in the room, you know, joining in as well. We, we were talking about this even the other day, weren't we? Uh, linking into the webinar. And I think a starting place is probably wh- what do you want good coaching to look like? So whether it's you as an individual or as a club or an organisation, what is the philosophy statement? What is how you want to coach players? What's that idea, approach that influences the behaviours? So... You know, for me, we've talked about this 4C approach because I'm very big on the the coaching philosophy is around creating these personalised experiences where players can solve problems. But within that, there's still a place for coaches to give direct instruction when necessary. Um, but ideally, we want to make sure that we're guiding players to become problem solvers. We're giving them more questions than we are answers. But it's a fine balance. It's not one continuum and compared to the other. So typically within a philosophy, is it the, you know, linked to your game model? Your philosophy is how you bring the game to life. 
that's how you share the idea through the communication and there's a clear framework. So, for example, with Ben Bartlett, we talked about this before, he often refers to the four Ds, which is decisions, direction, definition and difference. So in decisions, it's we're giving players uh, decisions to, to make, problems to solve. There's always direction because the game's directional, right? So is there a clear direction? Is there a clear method of scoring within the environment? How are we being clear in our information around direction? Difference where you're, you're challenging players, recognising the individual differences within the group and how you can differentiate, you know, learning and IDPs. Definition is where you're being more specific in the, the moments and the areas on the field these actions occur in these principles. You know, I've, I said four Cs. We shared that on previous modules around choices, similar to decisions. Have they got choices to make? Consequences, um, challenges, competition and clarity. Because that's something that I believe in. I think that, you know, for players, they've got to know what's the why. So I think, you know, it's interesting. What can we all agree on? It's that question, isn't it? Do we want players uh, to be able to make decisions? Do we reckon, do we all agree that the game belongs to the players and that the the game is built up on these triggers and these habits and how we, re- how we develop players to recognise triggers, search for information to cut with their own solution and form good habits over time? Or do we not think that's the case, you know? Because my view on the game is that the game is determined by, you know, constant variables. It's unpredictable. It requires players to have to look for information and they've got to solve problems. So because of that, because there's a lot of visual search, I then think, well, actually, how do we design environments where they've got to look for, you know, look for information? Can they become better at that? You know, and, and I think that's where... It opens that question up, doesn't it, Yaz? And what can we agree on? Is that how we view the game collectively? And if that's the case, how does that fit in with how we want to coach? You know? Um, so, they'd be interested to get your thoughts on that as an opening statement. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there. And I think, you know, uh, some of the key things that really stand out for me there is kind of similar, touching on what you just said there in the last piece was there's a game belongs to the players. And I think, I think there is definitely probably uh, a shared view <coughs> that the game largely does belong to the players but I think it's also recognising that you know, in order for players to make better decisions it's not always about just us giving them the freedom to do that but also directing them their, and their awareness and their attention to things that do impact on that performance and their ability to make those decisions and I think that bit is really really key for me so I think in terms of you know we, we, you know, we've heard phrases like it in the past. We're like, let the game be the teacher, and it's like, well, yeah, the game can be a useful tool within teaching the game, but listen, you can't teach the game without the, you know, without the explicit drawing to attention of, like I said, the variables that ex- exist and impact on performance. But then it's also that, that you know, that phrase that we've used in the past, where it's when we're observing it as coaches, are we observing through our eyes or their experience? How well do we know what they see? How well do we know what they feel and whether they actually are impacted by the same pressures that we might think they would be? Because, um, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss in the sense that if they're not even thinking about certain things, they might not even feel the pressure that those things can bring on. But also there's equally that balance of them having to be aware of certain things so that they're aware of what actually impacts on them. So I mean, that's kind of where my mind goes straight away on that. And I think it's just looking at 
like we said, you know, what, what, what can we all agree on? I think, you know, the reason why, you know, I think this is an important question is that if we are coaching in different environments, if we are working with players who are probably going to be going from environment to environment, what are some of the consistent things that they've actually got that they can kind of fall back on? And it's all well and good saying, yes, I'm the coach and I want to play this way and I want to coach this way. But actually, if that's not what they're prepared, if you're not preparing them for what they're going to go into next or wherever else they might end up being coached, then are you necessarily helping them? Um, I think, like, you know, the clarity piece that you talked about there, I think is fundamentally key because obviously they need to know the why. I think it's very important because that's how you're going to get their buy-in. Um, I just think to myself as a, as, a, as a player and as an individual generally, if I don't know why I'm doing something, I'm probably not going to do it. And that doesn't necessarily mean I have to agree on the on the why, but I need to have some understanding and rationale as to why we're doing what we're doing, because then it, it shows me that you've actually considered it yourself as the coach and what your thoughts are and why are we doing this. And again, that's where I, you know, get the buy-in of the players, really, isn't it? Because you get to get get them buying into what you're saying, why you're doing it, and getting them to buy into the potential benefits that come off the back of whatever it is that you're trying to do with them. So that's what you know. That's where my mind goes initially. Um, I think that's a thousand percent, and it's and it's interesting. I want to piggyback off something you said because it resonates with me more today. So there was a game where I was at today this morning, and the coach, the down four zero at halftime, right? It was one nil, couple other goals. I actually had to go to another field and there was something else. I've come back, and I couldn't believe what obviously whatever's happened because in that short space of time, they'd already conceded a couple of goals, and then I saw the other one. And the coach is a very, very good coach. Very good at... Um, he's bought in massively in terms of how we want to coach and our sort of coaching model, if you like, our philosophy around empowering the players, giving them chances to figure stuff out. Um, but there is that balance. You said that phrase, you know, let the game be the teacher. And there's times where I feel, you know, not that I'm contradicting myself or we're, we're challenging our own beliefs, but it's... There is a place to sometimes be a bit more command, demand, and raise the tempo or like the hustle, the, that behaviour. So, you know, he did a good job of like setting them challenges and that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you could argue it's not working. The conceding goals, I'm looking, the Sheeps, we're playing to the other team's shape. The other team are totally disorganised. They're all over the gaff. This is U9, 7v7. But what they've got is a very intentional around when and where to dribble and it's played to the fast kids and they run through. But they're leaving a lot of spaces that we're not, you know, we're playing into their congestion. We're not exploiting the, the wide spaces. We're not winning the ball. So all I said at halftime is I said, look, I'm going to take over halftime. Let's get through this half and I'm going to try something. And all I said to the players was, I, I said, um, you know, this is how the opposition has set up. So I drew their disorganised shape, if you like. I'm sure it wasn't coached, but this is how they're set up. And they typically had one at the back and they were overloading everyone in midfield and, and onwards. So the space is out wide to exploit. This is who their danger players are. When we lose the ball, we're going to press because they don't like being pressed. They typically kick out of play for throwing. We're going to hunt in these packs. We're going to stop this player getting on the ball here. When we got the ball, how quickly can we play into the wide spaces? Here and here. And I've showed them on the tactics board. When we haven't got the ball, one idea, how we win it back. Boom, done. And then my last message was, hey, let's go win the second half. First half is gone. Let's go win the second half. 
and the keeper was a bit down and I gave him confidence because you know yourself, like at that age, the goals are massive. So sometimes there's not a lot you can do anyway. If it hits the target, it's probably in the back of the net anyway. They're so diddy, aren't they? Anyway, we go straight after within the first minute of the second half, we're 1-0 up. And then we're winning 2-1. And the second half finished 2-2 in the end. A um, couple of referee decisions which challenged us and we conceded on them. But my the reason why I'm going with this is even during that half, I was a lot more, Edan, where should you be now? And there were times I was going, Edan, you need to be here. Or Abram, there. And then it's like, OK, why do I want you here now? What can you see? Or Gabe, how can you receive that ball and play wide quickly? Good. But then other times, hey, Gabe, I need you to be here. So I think it's... I don't know, like, that's where my brain's going, Yaz, is like, sometimes we're, I see a lot of coaches who are maybe scared. I'm not saying he was today, but I'm using it as an example. They're scared to maybe coach. And we can hide behind this mask of, you know, let the kids solve the problems. Well, actually, we're also there to, I think Tony said this so well last week or the week before, we're there, as the, we're there to coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then it's okay, don't do too much of it. And then it's like, okay, why do we want you there? What can you, do you know what I mean? And I think that's the tough conversations we've got to have is if it's a coaching philosophy, where do you sit on this continuum of learning and performance, winning and development? Because obviously you can learn a lot through winning, you can learn a lot through losing. But how are you creating these habits? And when I think back to when we started the conversation, it's around, I said, you know, talked about the four C's, four D's as an example. I think we have to really have a very clear sort of philosophical view of what is it we're going after. So, you know, if it's, we want the players to develop better by solving problems, but we recognise they might need our help at times in doing that. Okay, what does that look like? And what are the environments that we need to create to help them get there? So, you know, for some it might be, because one thing's for sure, the game is built up on these moments, right? Consequences. It involves a ball. involves direction. So that's the challenge now is like, what is good coaching? What is coaching? What is football for you, Yaz? Soccer, you know? How, is, how Do we incorporate these things within our philosophy? Do we agree on this? I don't know what you're thinking or anyone else. Yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, just... There's a few different things popping in my head at the moment. I think that is that question that you keep coming back to. What is coaching, right? Um, you started off at the top of the conversation talking about what is good coaching, what do you want good coaching to look like? And I think the bottom line is this, there's no one, one, one right way other than the way that works. And I think we have to accept and understand that we might have a way that we want to work, but more specifically, it's how does that link into what the players need in that moment? Do you have the time to actually go through that Q&A piece, go through that you know that, that piece where you're probing them and guiding them down the particular piece? Or is it actually in this moment right now, we need to hit the nail on the head. This is what we're doing. We'll address the learning piece later because we need action rather than, um, we need performance rather than development right this this exact moment. Um, so that's, that's the first kind of piece. The second kind of thing I've started to think about is that assessment of their perceptions. And, you know, you ask the question there as an example to a player. Why do you think I'm doing this? Some people 
might have a completely different outlook on what the game should look like. So I think it's really important to hear us about a talk about managing the stakeholders, i.e. the parents in this process, if you're working in youth football in particular. Because sometimes the parents will look at you and be like, and link it into what you said about you know where, where Tony's is up. We're here to coach, but we also need to manage the perceptions of what coaching looks like for the players and the parents and, the, and anyone else involved. Because for a lot of people, and I've been in these situations before where I use that Q&A approach and I'm a bit more relaxed, I'm a bit more laid back, and I'm, that's typically how I work anyway. But there is moments where I kind of, I go into that command and demand state, like you said. But where where I'm in, in situations where I've not necessarily been as commanding and, and demanding because the environment doesn't necessarily dictate that it needs that, I've often been questioned, oh, well, when are you going to start coaching? Well, I, I am coaching, but this is what coaching looks like in this context for this reason. And I think it's very being very clear on it. And, you know, you talk, you talk there about we're there to coach. Yes, we are. But also recognising that coaching comes in so many different forms that we need to recognise that the players and the parents alike may not understand that this is how we coach it. So coming back to the top top of what you said around clarity, I think for me, we need to clarify for the players and anyone else involved, well, what, what can they expect from us in terms of how we coach and why we're going to coach in that way and when we may, at times, potentially move away from that and the reasons behind it. So that their expectations are managed, they're understanding the processes. Because one of the biggest things that I've observed, especially in the way that I coach, I ask a hell of a lot of questions. And one of the biggest things that comes to me was the players in particular, they're reluctant early on to actually answer my questions because they feel like I'm trying to catch them out. So for me, it's early on, it's just setting the clarity of reassurance around, I'm not trying to catch you out here. I'm genuinely just trying to figure out what you think, what you know, what you feel, so I can see where I can plug myself in to support you. And you know, just some version of that gets constantly reassured, reiterated to them. And then, you know, then we're looking at what kind of environment are you in? Are you in a recreational environment? Are you in a performance environment? And, you know, I, I talked about this earlier in that we can have an ideal way that we want to coach, but actually we have to recognise there's going to be so many different ways players are going to be coached. They may not always be with us as players. So are we preparing them for that? So at the moment, as an example, you could be working in a recreational environment where it is much more focused around development, but as soon as they start moving to a, an environment where, let's say it's an academy as an example, or they get into that the slightly older age where they're 14, 15, 16, or they've got intentions and, and aspirations of wanting to play um, competitively, competitive football into their, you know, their adult ages, are they aware enough, are you preparing them enough to let them know that actually how they're going to be coached could be fundamentally different? And it's not that there's a right or wrong, but actually it's just setting them and managing their expectations again. So are you demanding of them a bit more? And are you actually recognising actually 15, 16? You know, Tony talks about this recently, working in a group of players where he's working in the JPL. Now, rightly or wrongly, the JPL is considered to be kind of that stopgap between your everyday grassroots club and that of an academy environment. So it's kind of that go between where those players who are in the JPL typically are of the mind that they want to go and pursue a path into an academy or into some sort of competitive football beyond it. But when it comes down to it, the coaching that they might receive at, the, at that end of the spectrum and also because of the age and stage they're at, some of these players may at 15, 16, within a couple of years, be pushed into first team environments. Are they going to get the time? Are they going to get the, the the patience required to support them in their development? Or actually, is there going to be a blend of both? Where they're going to get some patience, they're going to get some time, but actually, 
on many occasions, they were going to be just told, you need to do this, and if you don't do it, you're off, or you're out of the building. So I think it's recognising where they're at on that spectrum and how that affects, one, your coaching philosophy, two, how well you actually are truly supporting the player beyond your coaching environment and the experience that they're going to have as a long-term, um, in terms of their long-term experiences. So I think there's so many different things that we kind of delve into, but those are just some of my initial thoughts on what you've said. No, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's interesting. We've we've got to sort of understand first, for me, what's the journey of that player? Like, you use that word a lot, context. And I think it's understanding what motivates them and why they're here. So first is who's in front of us. And then what's their journey? What's their motivation? Why they're here? And what's the, I guess, the the motivation probably even in that moment really like what the where are we at like what's their game look like because that's obviously an influencing factor in not necessarily what our coaching philosophy is but how it's delivered which is probably a really whatever level you're working at whether you're working with you know older more competitive senior players or right towards the youth or recreational it's it's the how isn't it the how to deliver because There'll be players where their game, I mean, you'll see this a lot. I've seen it with 77-99, where even though that's where they might be at in terms of their format, age and stage, but some of the players are on a completely different game. We'll have players at nine aside and seven aside that they're still trying to play the 4v4 game because that's where they're at. You know, they still want to try and dribble through everybody and you don't necessarily want to kill creativity. But that's where they're at in terms of, you know, they haven't got that positional understanding yet or game intelligence. And they're trying to do things that would be more like what you do at 4v4 or whatever. And even some players were like that at 11 aside. But then you'll get other players where even they're younger and they're like, actually, they're already playing at what you would expect at 11v11 in terms of the, some of the decision makings, where they're looking to pass to. Even if we're giving the ball away, they're looking for those right habits. They're looking for those right decisions. And then even when they're in the 11v11 format, it's what level they're playing at. We've got some players that we're having to play up on higher division teams just because the division that they're playing is too easy for them. So we're having to give them different challenges now and different levels of competition. And I think that's where, again, how does that fit within your coaching philosophy? So ultimately, you know, going back to that first question, what can we all agree on? Is it safe to say as whatever level you're at, what we can all agree on is it comes back to the players. Who's in front of us and what do they need? And then the role of the coach is balancing the wants and the needs in its simplest way. I don't know if we, if you'd agree on that or not. Yeah, I, I guess so. I think the thing to consider, though, is, is this is the real challenge, you know, it's, it's within the coaching philosophy piece as well. You talked about the how. I think the how is sometimes also recognising that actually this environment, this 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 environment is not suited to the way that I want to coach. And sometimes, or rather the other way around, the way I want to coach is not suited to this environment. So actually, maybe I'm better off in another environment. Because, you see, you know, I see it so many times where coaches do go into certain environments. They want to coach a certain way, but actually it's just not suitable for the players. And it's not to say they're wrong or they're right. But it, fundamentally, they have to be able to flex and adapt based on the needs of the players. So exactly what you said, I think, you know, one thing that we possibly can work towards maybe agreeing on if you like is 
it's got to suit the needs of the individuals within the environment. And I think it goes both ways. Knowing as a coach, what are you trying to get out from it? And are you going to get, is this the environment for you to get that out? Knowing what the players are trying to work towards. or And it, this is the other thing. I think, I think you can't put too many, you can't put too much on the players and what they want to get out from it because they may not know what they can get out from it is, is another aspect of it. You know, one of the things I've always said as, as a coach is, you know, your your part of your responsibility as a coach is to expose the players to bigger possibilities than they could have imagined. And if you can do that, maybe maybe then you might see some players who actually, you know, and, I, and I've certainly been in this experience myself with, with players where they've thought they've, if you like, for lack of a better way to describe it, they've hit their ceiling. But actually, you've given them some different insights. You've given them some different thoughts to consider. You know, you've you've actually shown them that actually no, they're very capable in different ways that they might not have considered before. So I think part of it's that is it's recognizing is 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 this the right fit for the environment? Am I a right fit for the environment? Is the right is the environment right fit for me? Well, on that note, again, linking it back to the main question around the philosophy piece. You know, we've got to ask that question of what are our values, beliefs and principles that ultimately influence our coaching? So, you know, I guess even the elephant in the room, my my values and my beliefs and my principles will be very much around. I believe that the game is based on players having to look for information in the environment in order to solve their own problem. And then as a result of that, that influences me because I'm, I'm more towards designing game-like experiences, staying as close to the game as possible, creating games and games within games, making sure that there's always some kind of pressure on the ball or interference of some kind. I'm designing environments that have got consequences, the direction, the ball and opponents because that relates to my own values, my beliefs, that influences how I coach. Even in the club, in the club we haven't got people who are doing, uh, let's say, tr- traditional or isolated drills where they're focusing more on this ideal technique or technical model that's shaped by the coach, which a lot of parents might perceive as good coaching. We're the total opposite in the sense of, well, what is good technique? Good technique is really a skill. That's our belief anyway. So people might agree, disagree. But we believe it will actually, the technique, that quote used the other way. Do you remember the other day when you said, um, you know, my technique is a response to yours? Do you remember, Yaz? And it's that type of methodology. So I'm wondering if, if it's worth even addressing that elephant in the room because that, that is ultimately what what is your coaching velocity? Because there are some coaches that are like, nah, I don't believe in this. I believe you've got to get technique. We've got to drill the hell out of them. And then we've got to work on a progressive model. So throughout the session or throughout the week, yeah. we have more layers, more layers, more pressure, and then slowly rewarding with a game. Whereas I'm against that, you know, and I've got reasons for that. I would much rather spend, because I also recognise that, that coaches will spend more time coaching the drill than they will coaching the players. I would rather put them in environments where the, the, you know, there's the right challenge, but ultimately they're playing because I'm watching them in the game and they are getting different repetitions of technique. You know, it's repetition without repetition. And they're having to manipulate the ball differently, but it's done with chaos or interference or something. So it's 
I think that's the interesting direction where we go with this because ultimately values, beliefs and your, your thoughts will influence your coaching philosophy. So are you that coach where you're more, you know, I believe in this technical model approach and that, let's say, technique, skill, game, that traditional model, or are you more towards game form, game-like activities? You know, that's where it'd be, it'd be interesting, Yas. I think I think you're spot on, but I think that's something really key to consider. And this is something I always kind of talk about, when I, you know, when I'm uh, delivering coach education or any type of uh, workshops or whatnot. And it's <laughs> just because it, you have, you have, we have to be conscious and very clear on what it means to create game-like practices or game-related practices or you know practices which replicate the game and. <laughs> I guess you know, for me, I'm, I'm very, very particular on this because I think I think it's so important, right? Um, the amount of times I've seen that maybe a coach has delivered a session where it's uh, a possession-based practice or it's a combination uh, play session or it's a finishing practice, whatever the practice is. And it's like, okay, because it's got finish in it, because it's got some combinations in it, because it's got some passing and receiving in it, that's often used as their tick it in to say this is game related yeah but it doesn't look like that in a game where would that happen in a game you know the, the simplest example of that I can give you is if you go to a finishing practice right where you know the age old one where you've got the, the coaches on the edge of the box players pass it in coach sets them on either side and they finish They'll, they'll say, yeah, we're working on a finishing year, but are you really? Because when would that ever happen in a game? Because if we now put the game context into this, so let's look at it from a level-on-side perspective. One, where are the defenders? Okay. Two, if the defenders are where you're saying they should be, then why are you, why, why, why are you playing it forward to the pass, to, to the striker, who's then going to set you, set you off to either side? Because actually that person potentially would be offside. And if they're not offside, that means the defenders are defending behind them, which means where's the pressure on the player who's going to set the ball in the first place? And if there's no pressure on the ball who's going to set the player in the first place, why are they even playing it? Why are they playing it? Would you not encourage them to drive forward instead and ask the player who's going to receive the ball, or the coach in this case, who would receive the ball, to actually peel off and make a run in behind for that slip pass? There, all of a sudden, now it changes the context of the game. There, all of a sudden, now you're working on the movement, the timing and the passing to receive, to then finish off, the, off, the, off that natural movement which would occur in a game. And I'm just giving a very basic example of what, what that might look like, but fundamentally, is actually, if you're saying that you want game-related practice, is it really game-related? Just because you're working on passing and receiving and it involves passing and receiving doesn't mean it actually is working on passing and receiving in a way that it would be presented in a game. Just because you're working on crossing and finishing, if there's no defenders or if the timing of the crosses isn't, isn't effective or if the timing of the defend, uh, the finishing or the runs and whatever is not like it would be in a game, then it's not It's not, It's not. not fundamentally game-related. You know, and it, you know, one of the biggest areas that I've looked at, especially in my experiences in the past, working as a goalkeeping coach as well, look at crossing and finishing as a big one, right? And there is patterns. There is patterns that exist in the game. Now, it's not to say these are definitive, but it's a probability. The game is based on probabilities as far as I'm concerned. You have to use your game sense and your game awareness to understand that each situation in the game is likely to lead to a particular outcome based on what is happening around it. So as an example of that, 
before, and I don't want to go into a big a tangent, but as an example, if I'm crossing the ball, well, if I'm going towards the byline, there's typically only two areas that I'm going to knock it to. It's either going to be clipped in and stood up for the far post, or it's going to be cut back towards the penalty spot for for that cut back finish. If I'm you know crossing it from a further out, maybe let's just say uh, 12 yards out on the whip for the box, as in 12 yards from the touchline. I'm probably not going to be doing those same two options. I'm probably more likely to be cutting it across the face of the goal or, or across the face of the six-yard box for that near post kind of flick on or, or near post kind of finish there. If I'm crossing it from 30 yards deep, well, what, what, what does that tell me? Well, the defenders are probably likely to be higher, so therefore where's the space? The space is in behind, so I'm going to try and put it in behind the defence. But fundamentally what I mean is, what I'm getting at is there's all these different patterns that exist based on what's happening in the game. There's different pictures, and we use these. You know, I, I, I still think they should be used as terminology that we in coach education generally. But what are the pictures that you're seeing? What are the pictures that your players are seeing? What are the pictures that you're getting your players exposed to? And what do those pictures present as a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and potentially what we used to call as what if moments? I think it's so important that we understand what those what-if moments occur, um, look like when they do occur, sorry. And fundamentally, this might blow what you want to do as a coach out the window because actually, when you break it down, there's certain things that you haven't considered as a coach that actually stop you from coaching the way you want to coach because actually, it's not just based on what you want, but going back to that phrase, my technique is in response to your technique. If you set up in a certain way, and that way is 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 almost the kryptonite to my method. Well, I'm either going to have to be excellent at completing my method, or I'm going to have to be, you know, open to accepting. Here's a what if moment. I might have to go elsewhere on a plan B or a plan C now. I love it because as I'm listening, I'm just thinking. The game is so unpredictable, so random, problematic. It's built up on this time, players, number variations. They're unpredictable. Time, space and numbers that are forever changing. So everything you've just said there, that's it. Is how, how can we spend more time developing players to actively perceive and, and recognise information in order to figure stuff out and then get confidence with experimenting with different parts of the foot or whatever it may be to, to solve those problems in those moments. Like if they're getting pressed high and no, everyone's in the middle and they find the free play on the outside or whatever it may be. So it's, it's, it's putting players in situations where they have to make decisions versus putting them in situations where there's no decisions needed because the design of the practice or even the game itself and how the coach coaches the game He's taken away all choices and decisions for the players because he's basically saying, pass here, run left, do that, do this. Or the activity says, do this, do that. That's where then players develop that dependency for me so much on the coach and less on themselves. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, even in that, I was thinking, how can you create something where it's a time constraint? So... You know, time constraints and and um, any other challenges around just putting that pressure of the game back, like getting as close to the game as possible. So it's it's it, this is good stuff, yes. But again, these are where we're talking about what we can agree on. But what if we don't agree on that? 
how does that influence your coaching philosophy? Because for some, they might be like, well, I'm not so sure. I think I need to tell them what to do and, and give them two or three clear options and that's yeah. it. Well, if that's your philosophy, it's not mine. It's probably not yours by the sounds of it. But if that's their philosophy, is who are we to say that's wrong? I'm playing devil's yeah, advocate. Yeah, I don't think it's the way You know, if they want to play in a certain way or coach a certain yeah. way, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, for me, I want players to be able to almost grow up where they can figure stuff out and I can sit and observe and make notes. Yeah, okay. And they need me less and less. But for other people, they might want that dependence. But I, think, I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? You know, they can come in and save the day, yeah, you know? that's the thing, though, with Jordan. I think it's recognising that, you know what? What we can agree on, and I think we, you know, is, is, is a factual thing, is that every coach is going to be different. So, therefore, I think the, the importance of this question is really key, right? What can we all agree on? What can we agree on that regardless of what environment we're working on still needs to be coached to an extent if, if we're going to go to the extent of actually coaching it? So, you know, I'm, ta- I'm taking, for, for just, just for this element of this conversation, I'm thinking, let's move away from a strictly engagement-based, community-based, temp-type, you know, fun-based sessions and just talk about sessions where you would expect... And more of a an approach of a technical technical coaching standpoint. It doesn't and it doesn't have to be at a high level, but even that lower 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 levels of grassroots football where people are just engaging in team environments. What can we all agree? Well, there's a simple objective to the game. That's something we can agree on. And unless you know, unless I'm, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that the simple objective of the game is to actually score score more goals than your opposition and stop them from doing the opposite, right? Now, if we can agree on that, then in some way, shape, or form, are we then not? Are we then not? You know, and I'm, I don't want to speak out on people's behalf here, but it would be interesting to get your views. Are we then not also agreeing indirectly on what is principles of the game? And if those principles are existing, and we can agree on that, there's the fact that there's the principles of the game. Then surely that's a good point to start with, no? One thousand percent. The principles don't change, irrespective of. Well, however, we reword them and categorize them and reinvent the wheel and have a different formation and whatever else, they don't change. They'll always exist because of the nature of the game, being directional, you know, and and uh, played more with the foot. Certain rules that influence how you can attack and defend space. We're an invasion sport. We we have to consciously. We've got one ball. We attack one end. We defend the other. We're contesting the ball constantly. So we're constantly trying to contest of who can have hold of the ball and, and gain territory to, in order to score. That's it. Simple. Those principles in order to achieve that or, or prevent the other team from, from achieving that mission don't change, like you just said. So that's a great place to start is how can we get players to become more game responsive to that? And Because if you what you just said there is actually a really good point. Is it principles or is it patterns? Because that's a phrase I'm using a lot with my staff at the minute, where they'll talk about, oh, we've got to work on this pattern. But is it a pattern? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, but I think um, I think patterns, patterns is a good way of looking at it, only because with patterns in play, it means that we... Uh, I believe it suggests that it's, it's something that we can study. And we can follow a trail of some sort. We can follow a probability or, or likely outcome of something that might exist within it. Does that make sense? We've all done it. But what I'm saying is, is that if we're saying it's based on principles which don't change, i.e. how I exploit this space or how I go here, how I go there, when to press, when not to press and whatever, you can show a great example. I'm watching a high-level coach the other day do a pressing session and he's got a pattern of how he's pressing. That's great for the first phase, but then what? And if the opposition get out, or the opposition don't play in that way, where they don't move the ball to this fullback and do this and that, how he's pictured it, then what? So that's where I'm saying, like, and people might get talk up on the word pattern because of the semantics. I do believe you've got to create little pictures. Of, you're helping players recognise pictures and scenarios, right? The ultimate thing is, it's not a one, it's not the same answer for every problem. Because let's say four out of the five situations, I might be able to show them outside, but on one of them, it's actually probably better to show inside. But the coach might say, "No, we're always pressing outside." Do you know what I mean? Like that's where. So, or if it's a passing pattern up back and through, those things, I get it. Like we've got it in the UEFA courses. We've got the up back and through. They call it moves, but really they're actions. Or back and through, you got the third man run. You got this. You got that. You got straight ball diagonal run. You've got diagonal ball straight run. Like I get it; those things will exist. But the detail is 
does the kid recognise when to play that straight pass? And does that kid recognise how to make that run to trigger the pass? Or even, do you know what I mean? Like the eye contact to respond to that. Now that's different. I can train them in a, any activity to do the up, back and through. But can I create an environment where they're choosing, almost like picking a tool out of the toolbox and going, actually, I don't need this tool. I need this tool today. But they're doing that within milliseconds. They're constantly thinking. They've got to think quicker than the speed of sight. That's the challenge. Players have to make decisions quicker than the speed of sight. So anything that's requiring more conscious thought, where it's ritual and it's patterned, the danger then becomes is that you become predictable, right? You could be predictable. And the players could actually end up playing that game instead of the but, game. But that's, like, but that's just play what's in front of you. John, isn't it? Really, I'm, I'm saying to you that if we actually take a step back and you know, let's use the word pattern just for just for the sake of this conversation. Actually, if we look at it as a pattern, and the, then we can actually look at the game in a way where it does become predictable. It does become, um, you know, we, we talk about, let's just talk about out of possession as an example, right? One of the biggest things, or even in possession, to be fair, just one of the biggest kind of qualities that we look for within players is that piece around anticipation. Now, can you anticipate what's going to happen next? Well, where does anticipation come from? You're clearly taking in some sort of information, reading some sort of information, viewing some sort of information, whether that be the players around you, the space around you, the direction of where the ball is going, or whatever that looks like. Now, that anticipation, you know, is fundamentally the product of a pattern that you've observed. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to definitely happen, but actually based on certain things that I've seen, this is what it's likely to look like. So I'm just thinking out loud, I'm quite a visual person, so the thing that's coming into my head as you're speaking there, and as you were talking, it's like Mastermind. You know the game Mastermind? You have to guess the colours. You guess the the pattern of colours, right? So, So, you know, it might be red, blue, white, whatever it is. Well, if on the first occasion I've got three out of the cut three out of it, you know, what are the three things that married up? Well, there's one colour wrong, okay, one colour's wrong, okay, what was missing? So actually it might be well, everything was in place, but what let us down? Well, the situation presented itself in a certain way, but the person who the person who was maybe looking for the, out, the person who was considered to be the outlet in that moment might not have read the pattern well enough to but to make the run at the right time. Therefore, it didn't work out. But actually, the situation still presented itself in the way that it did because out of the four different variables, as an example, three of them were still present. The fourth one wasn't present because it actually was out of space. I don't know if it, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's an example I'm thinking of in my head. No, it makes sense to me. I don't know if I'd. I mean, it's to me. It's and we might be getting hung up on semantics. It's just it to me. It's more a trend, isn't it? Like you'd write in the anticipation. Is that's the what if. And you're identifying that trend or that habit. Um, but as you rightly said in your sentence, it doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Because ultimately, like I might recognise something and look at it and go, do you know what? It looks like he's going to play inside, but he doesn't. And I go and press on that trigger and he decides to do something completely different. And now he's killed three players and they're out. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the yeah. beauty of the game. Isn't this it? is this is this is where it comes down to. Like if we go back to like kind of fundamental things. You know, my, I say to my players in particular, out of possession, your job is to make the game predictable. In possession, your job is to fundamentally do the opposite. Right. So you might have there might be certain things that occur, but can you? The, the, the thing I always say to players is, if you're out of possession, ask yourself constantly, what would I do if I was on the ball? 
what would I do if I was on the ball? Therefore, you have to kind of, if you if you like, become empathetic during the game to what the other person might be seeing or feeling. What would I do if I was on the ball? Right, brilliant. If that's what I would do with that, with that, that what I would when I would when I would apologies. If that's what I would do when I'm on the ball, what would I need to make sure is in place for that to exist? I.e., if this player is running at me. And in that moment, I'm thinking, yeah, there's a perfect ball down the left-hand side there because there's a gap. Okay, brilliant. What would that need? To, what would you need to kind of complete that that pattern, if you like, or that that combination of actions? Well, that person there maybe needs to pull off a little bit wider and then make that running behind. Okay, brilliant. So can you stop them from doing that? Now, if you stop them from doing that, you're probably making the game a little bit more predictable because now you've now restricted them from doing one of their potential primary options, if you like. And again, in possession. Can you do the fundamental opposite? So, as an example, one of the thing, key things I always say to my players in possession, before anything else, can you look to penetrate? Right? Now, how I break it down for them as an example, like, right, when I want you to penetrate, the first thing I want you to do alongside that is actually, a, you know, I, I, I talk about it as a bolt-on. It's a bolt-on for what I want you to do. I want you to penetrate, but I want you to commit before you penetrate or commit while you penetrate. So, what that means is, if the space is in there straight away, then do it. But can you unbalance and unsettle the opposition opposition structure and shape? So, as an example, if they've got a flat back four, and you're the right winger, can you actually drive close enough to the point where that shape is no longer a black a flat a flat a flat back four? As soon as it, as soon as that left back, as an example, steps towards you, that means they're engaged. Now you can release. Now they're now they're coming towards you rather than going towards the ball. If that makes sense you can release it in the opposite direction. You're, you're going to beat them in their momentum and their flow of play. So commit and then play is what is, is one of the key kind of, you know, phrases I like to use with my players. But again, it's to make it unpredictable, to break up the pattern that they might then look at themselves and say, what would I do if I'm on the ball? I don't know if that makes sense though, Gerard. Yeah, this is good. It's really good. I see. I mean, this is great that we've got some new faces as well. People coming in. Just a, a good reminder, everyone, that this is part of a, a series that Yaz and myself are doing where we're going to be hosting a series of X spaces every week that are FA accredited. So for up to one hour CPD in partnership with Middlesex FA and leads into a webinar that we're also doing towards the end of the month that will be based on our coaching model. So for everyone, we've shared a comment in the chat. After this, uh, once you've had a listen and you've engaged, complete the self-reflection form by the Google the Google questionnaire. Super quick and easy one of what were the takeaways for you or things that you know, you're still swirling around or questions unsure about. Just your reflection. And then once you submit that, that'll mean you're eligible for one hour of CPD. And we've been fortunate, we've already done a few of these for the past few months since the summer and seen a, a fantastic amount of engagement with over 7,000 people engaging in these type of spaces. So really good. Um, Lee, I see you're up to speak. Good evening. Hope you're okay. Great to hear from you, Lee. Lee, if you want to unmute yourself, let us know what you're thinking. If you've got any questions or anything. Yeah, 
Oh, there we go. There we go. I'm back. Sorry, I couldn't uh, unmute myself then. Apologies. Um, I thought the I was stuck on the internet. Um, good evening, everyone. How are you? Is everyone okay? Very well, thanks. Yourself? Yes, very good. Some very uh, interesting points there. I think, um, well, what can we all agree on? I think the, the one thing that comes to my mind all the time is, uh, which probably gets overlooked. Well, I say it gets overlooked, but um, f- in terms of coaching philosophies and creating good players or, you know, elite players or, you know, sending players off into the world to, you know, play for themselves, hard work, you know, hard work in players, really important. Um Players that try to improve themselves, take accountability, responsibility for themselves. Um, I don't know, you know. I think that's that's a that's something that's definitely in. Well, it's in my coaching philosophy anyway. But um, away from the the game, it, well, it's not away from the game itself, but um, it's it's something more holistic about the person, really, rather than than the player. Yes, it's, it's an interesting one, Lee. I think for me, it's uh... when, we, when, we, when we're looking at this, you know, you're talking about individuals there, and you talk about being a person, not a player. I'm not actually sure if it's something that everyone would agree on. If I'm being honest with you, um, I think we could look at it from a uh, we could take a step back and morally look at it and say, yeah, it's definitely got to be about the person, but. I'm not necessarily sure we do have every. We would get everyone agreeing on that um, because I think that that will fundamentally tell tell itself in the way that people coach. Because if it was, I don't think you get necessarily get people that are you know uh, quote unquote coming down hard on players <laughs> um, often because sometimes the players can't handle that. It's not about it's not about you know, not every player can handle that. And I think that's why that's the beauty of it, right? We. We have to flex and adapt our approaches to suit the needs of the players. And I think one of the observations I've had in my experiences of, you know, in a coach development and coach mentoring capacity in particular is the, the common situation where a coach tends to gravitate towards certain players. And often those certain players that the coach tends to gravitate towards are the ones that actually take, take their coaching well. So, you know, just thinking out loud, they've got, you know, you've got, you've got your hand up. Feel free to jump back in, man. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not generally saying about coming down hard on players. I mean, if, for example, the players I've coached that have gone into the pro game or the semi pro game, for example, I'd just like them to be. Um, I'd like to make. Sh- I'd like to think that when they go somewhere else away from where I am, or if they're with us forever, um, that they turn up every day. They've got a good work ethic. Um, you know the the environment you're building for example, as a coach or your philosophy, you know, it, it produces the work ethic, the hard work, the accountability, the responsibility, all those things in a player um, that when they go and play for you or somebody else, that they don't lose that. Um, you know, a lot of players get to us and a lot of us have worked with players that have got to a level and then plateaued because, quote-unquote, they think they've reached 
their 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 level, you know, or they think they've reached where they need to be. Um, but um, I think I'm, that's probably more where I'm coming from, rather than saying with the iron fist we have to do this and that. Um, it's not about dictatorship in any way. It's just I would think in a philosophy, if I was to coach a player that could play for me for ten years or play two years and then go somewhere else, they have those values, if you like. I think that's maybe a better word. Um, they have those values. Lee, I was just going to ask out of curiosity, what, what age and sort of club level are you working at right now? I'm just curious in terms of your context. Um, I'm working, I'm working basically grassroots same pro at the moment in a senior environment, but I have worked in professional academies, um, and of, across all age groups, really. Um, so, um, so yeah, I've been coaching for, I don't know, 12, 12 years, maybe more. I'm 32 now. So yeah, 12, 12 or 13 years now. So, um, so yeah, I've, and yeah, I've done um, coaching every almost in a way. No, brilliant. The reason why I ask is it's fascinating. It's it's just understanding like where we are, what environments we're working in, because this obviously shapes a lot of the conversations that we're having. And I think that's a huge point. I mean, I look at coaches. I know something Yaz mentioned earlier, where he's like, "Do we all agree?" I'm not sure we all do. Is what Yaz left with, and I was thinking about that in that. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of coaches, even my own club, where they're all saying, yeah, I believe it. But then if I went away tomorrow, how many would continue? Or would they revert back to default? You know, once I'm, I've gone, I don't know. Um, I know in a lot of environments, typically most have continued and like, they've really believed in that sort of play-practice approach, play-practice play, keeping kids engaged. But I know there'll be a lot that still wrestle with it. And they're like, oh, we, we, we can't do this very well. That's it. We need to... We need to work on this or that now, you know, and how does that influence their coaching? So, and obviously there's no, is there a right or wrong? I mean, my question with the coaching philosophy, you know, if you want to answer it or anyone in the room, feel free to ask a question or jump in. My question is, how many kids do we retain and inspire as a result of how we coach? And how many do we lose? Because... You know, I'm a big believer in, I use this phrase a lot, like how can we inspire, involve and inform? Often we do the informing bit. Well, maybe we don't do it pretty well, but typically pretty well. We're good at telling. But how well do we inspire? Inspire players, inspire curiosity and then involve, actively involve the players, you know, in in the decisions, in the co-design of things, co-design of sessions, the management of the environment, all this type of stuff, you know, parents involve them. So, you know, that's a question I open up to the to the room if anyone wants to answer it, you know, because it, I do worry that there'll be a lot of players that leave probably because of how we coach. There'll be those that rise probably in spite of the system, but how many of you are lost because of the system, you know, in terms of our approaches? How many are we, what's the graveyard look like? You know, and that's, that's where I'm always conscious. Yes, I, I, go for it, Lee, and then we'll go over. Yeah, go. Like, you know, um, 
with um you know with with your session designs and uh the way you the way you design your sessions i suppose and the way you deliver your sessions um you know setting your objectives in the sessions um this is particularly aimed at you know youth football effectively but also senior football as well but um it's a bit different i suppose if you're in a once a week environment compared to twice or three times a week but using that um that feedback process or um in terms of observations and um engaging with the players both um in the session or pre-session in the session and post um or using video or uh, meetings for example um one thing i went through the faw pathway so um compared to the fa and you know um and for me and i think jared you worked with with oshian roberts so you, you you know uh what he thinks about the game and um this is one of his big his big age groups uh that i've seen or observed um use this this process of, of engagement uh where the players are very much involved in in everything um so um yeah it's it's a really good point and i think um it's very very helpful in my opinion for the players when they understand what a you want from them as a coach from them but also what's required of them in the game so it's easy to say to to play to players or oh, we're playing 43-1 and we're going to build it from behind and we're going to break lines and we're going to create overloads and all this these are these are great terms but what do they actually mean to that to those players you know i think that's the and how do they interpret that um for example if they are you, they're your principles um and how do you get that message across for example um we across you know all those questions um so yeah it's it's a very good point Love it, mate. Dave, how's it going? Good to hear from you. Good to see you. Hi, everyone. Uh, loving the conversation so far. Great to see so many people join this. Um, yeah, Gerald, you made a, a great point there around how many children do we inspire? How many children do we retain? How many do we maybe lose because of our coaching? And I think that's tough because the stats can lie to us a little bit. So I can't I can't make a blanket statement about yeah, youth coaching. Oh, about youth coaching around the world. But we have massive dropout rates at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. And people think, you know so football bring it Joel. Go Joel, go for it, bud. Oh, sorry, have you guys lost me? No, you're perfect. I can hear you great. I'm not sure where the other noise is coming from, Aye, but yeah, no. you, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just saying, you know, people think those teenage dropout rates, we maybe need to address it then, but, but actually it's not always that football just became unfun. It's like football's maybe never been fun. So if the coach is maybe doing the perceived to be the wrong thing at four, five, six, seven, eight years old, that kid's probably going to be at training next week because mum and dad, dad control the car, control the schedule, and that kid's probably not even realised they can turn around and say, I don't want to go to that, you know? It's when they get their own autonomy at 14, 15, 16, they can turn around and say, 
you know, it's not that football just became unfun overnight. It's it's never been fun, and I want to drop out and do something else. So I think a lot of coaches play such a crucial role in making football unbelievably fun at the youngest age groups. So when a kid moves to under-14s and doesn't like the coach, we don't lose them to the game. You know, they move to another team. You know, if they move up to under-15s and they lose 10-0 three weeks in a row, they don't just throw the towel in, they go to another team. Because the coaches at the youngest age groups make football like a non-negotiable in their life. It's just something that they that they absolutely love. So it's it can be really tough to know if young coaches if coaches at the youngest age groups are inspiring, retaining and keep people win the game. Because we may not actually see the benefit of that until they've moved way on from our programme, they're 15, 16 years old. You know, like why am I still trying to hobble around at the over 35s? Because at some point in my journey Football was just a non-negotiable. I absolutely love it, and I'm going to play it for as long as I can. So, so many coaches listening won't appreciate what great work they're doing to spark lifelong participation in the the young people they're working with. I think that's a huge point that you just made. I, I know it's a big part of the new UEFA C with the English FA, where they're talking about the love of the game, and and I just think about you know I know you've done the scoreboard soccer the importance of players playing games, solving problems, figuring stuff out. It's play. They're having fun. You know, and it's how does that inspire the love? And, and ultimately for me, like, I always ask that question of like, why are they here? What, what what do they love about playing football or soccer? You know, wherever you are. Is it the defending? Is it because some are there because they love dribbling? They love scoring goals. Okay. Others are there because they love the contact. You know, they're feisty, they like that side of it, they're competitive. Okay, we've got to keep that drive. You don't ever want to take that out of a player. You know, you've got others that are there, well, for the social, you've got others there for other stuff. Why is it that they're there? And how can you design environments that reinforce that love, right? And that's what I love about, I don't know if you want to share any examples, you know, but some of the methodology you've got within your own coaching philosophy, it'd be interesting to hear for those that maybe don't know you you know, around how you, you're creating that, inspiring that engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't know if we'll ever nail any, anything that we all agree on, but for me, like, autonomy is crucial. Like, people like to do what they like to do, right? There's, there's almost, in every walk of life, when someone says, do what you want, uh, well, you're going to enjoy that because, you know, you can do what you want. And that's why at the youngest age groups, we need that autonomy, you know, trying not to be too stripped on minimising touches or creating zones or, you know, lines, laps and lectures as we talk about. Autonomy equals fun. So when I was younger, right, and a lot of people will be the same, there's no autonomy in the house. There's four channels on the TV and someone else chose what was on them. Mario and Luigi move from left to right in the screen. Maybe I can hit X and they'll jump. And that's about it, right? I can't phone my best friend when my mum's on the internet. No autonomy in the house. I can't do what I want to do. So I go out in the street, right? And I get loads of autonomy. I choose what mates I want to come out and play. I choose if we're going to play Kirby, if we're going to go to the shops, if I'm going to be Brazilian Ronaldo that day. Whatever we want to do, right? Autonomy, autonomy, autonomy. We need to really watch now. It's not the opposite because social media, streaming companies, um, Games consoles, they understand autonomy, right? So it's no longer Mario and Luigi. It's, right, kids, you name the character. You design the character. You give them a look, a hairstyle, a vehicle. 
you know, you design the world they live in. And that's what hooks kids because people like to do what people like to do. We could all look at our timelines right now. They'd all be different because social media understands people want to look at what people want to look at. It's not all the same. It's no longer here's the four channels and you have to watch Coronation Street. It's what do you want to watch? Netflix, Disney, Amazon. So we need to understand as coaches that these alternative options are really, really appetizing for kids because people want to do what they want to do. And that's what kids are going to choose. So if they come to our training and we give no autonomy, coach picks the teams, coach picks the touch limit, coach picks the drills, you know, they'll keep coming as long as mum and dad controls the car. But the second they get autonomy, they'll drop out. And the worrying thing is at 14, 15, 16, they may get an autonomy rush because they've not had it before. You know, they might, they might get autonomy through, okay, I'm being a little bit drastic here. Uh, you know, a gang, graffiti, alcohol, drugs, you know, um, choosing to do things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, so, yeah, I'm huge on autonomy at the youngest age groups because autonomy equals fun in, in all walks of life, you know. Um, autonomy equals fun. Fun equals retention. Retention equals development. And development equals opportunity. Whether that opportunity is go play at the highest level or opportunity to play fives with your mates or whatever it might be. So, yeah, and, and, and cheers for the kind of plug of, of scoreboard soccer because autonomy is huge within that. The kids just play the football uh, and I just praise what, whatever they choose to do. No, it's great stuff. I mean, I just like the the gamification. You know, there is a reason why I play it. games and kids love playing video games because of the levels, because of the challenge, because of the cheats, because of the clues, because they get to save their progress. You know, they get to a certain point, they achieve a mission, and then if they die, they don't have to go back to square one. They can save their progress or they can they can get some clues along the way and they can switch things up and things like that. And it's and cheating is a big part of it, right? So it's I like that. And then obviously the incentivization to to keep playing. Like what's the, why is that? So You've hit some great points there around autonomy and self-direction and things like this. And I think, again, if we're talking about coaching philosophy, Yaz, are those concepts that people have got in their, their vocabulary? Does that, is that what your coaching philosophy looks like? And include, you know, those principles. So this is really, really good. Really good. I know we've got Joel. We've probably got time for one more. Joel? Super. Hi. How are you doing? Hey, good to hear from you. Yep, nice to be here too. Um, I am currently based in Lawrence, Kansas, so close to you, I think. <laughs> yeah, not too far, a little bit further out, but yeah. Yeah, I'm more um, the Missouri side, but it's good. I was there, I was down at Lawrence the other day watching um, SKC two against Austin. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um. So just to build on, um, David, Coach David's point. I think my coaching philosophy or what I think coaches, one aspect or one area I think coaches should all bite into today is think about the idea of like coaches as sieves. So our digital spaces are filled with so many stimuluses now, so many, like several information. If you go online, everyone has an opinion, um, Everyone is like research is radical and going in so many directions. So the role of a coach today now really becomes as a sieve 
one and two um as someone to help the players like almost like synthesize all this information so um for me that is always that always comes down to like a conversation or a set of intermittent conversations of okay this is the base or this is for example this is where we know the game is heading these are the kind of profiles that the game um is appreciating now and this is where your skill set intersects with this trajectory so let's work towards that and i think um that's the reason why for coaches um we have to keep on learning i guess and also trying to be a step ahead so that we can be reliable sieves and answer questions for um the people we work with yeah Thank you. Thanks for sharing. And I, I think a good point is just being vulnerable, right? And open to to being asked questions. I like your last point. I mean, I think it's huge, especially today. And it goes both ways. I think often we're, you know, we can't take our take things personal. It's okay for for players to, to give us feedback or other people or even, you know, we've had it in our club where parents have asked questions, have sent an email to the coach or sent an email to me and said, hey, I don't, you know, I've noticed we're not working on corner kicks, you know. When are we going to do that? I've noticed they're not doing much on the, they're not doing any drills on the foot skills and they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And obviously we're able to say, well, actually, they're getting they're getting those decisions in, in this way and we're able to come back and equally some people might have good suggestions, right? And like you said, there's a lot of opinions now, but it's okay. I think as long as we, we think about what's the journey for the player, so, no, brilliant stuff. I don't know if there's anything you want to add on to anything, Joel, David, anyone that's, that's sort of some shared some stuff, Yaz, if there's anything from you or... Yeah, I think... <clears throat> and I think it's the beauty of these conversations, right? There's so many different views and opinions. Um, but coming back to the topic of the conversation, I don't know whether we've actually come away with anything that everyone can agree on necessarily or not. Um, but I think the idea I just want to plant in people's minds and things to think about is how much is what we're doing in our environment preparing these players to go on to another one? Are we aware of what environments that we can potentially push these players into if we're currently working with them at a certain level and it might be a quote-unquote higher level? How well attuned are we to the type of players that we're then developing within that and where they might be best suited going forward in their journeys? So just a few kind of, you know, final thoughts to kind of think about on that one and as, as we kind of look to move forward and Joan, I think it's probably worth just maybe just re- uh, realigning everyone to how we get to the CPD hours for these um, spaces that we're doing Yeah so and just on that note I think yeah. this is a, a, a great opportunity In cl- listen back to these things you know we've had a great conversation today there's been some really good points around individual difference considering individual difference within your philosophy and, and within the design of your activities, consequences, the ball, direction, opponents, pressure, choices, clarity. Um, one of the last pieces around gamification and how we can introduce concepts around cheats and clues. And, you know, like we did one the other day around VAR and, and just little clever strategies to get players identifying stuff so again these are the conversations that we're going to have and we're going to unpack into more detail so every week every sunday 
this time, whether you're in the US and it's two till three or around, or whether you're in the UK, it's, you know, uh, that sort of, uh, well, it'd be as your time. Is it six till seven or seven till eight? But you've got the weekly spaces. We're going to build into more topics as we go along. We've also got the webinar, which is a two-hour accredited event with Middlesex FA, which is a huge continuation from the game model where we're looking at, all right, what is a coaching model? What's a coaching model? How do you create a coaching model? And how does that influence how you teach your players to support your players? So these are really cool uh, conversations. Access the webinar. Um, we'll share some links out to you. You can also follow Yaz, click on his Twitter handle, X handle, sorry. You'll be able to see um, how you can register for updates so we can send you regular emails. In addition to that, in the chat function, there's a questionnaire. If you complete that, I know we had a question on that before, Yaz, which was really good. If you complete that question, where it's your key takeaways from today, and you're a member of the FA, uh, the Football Association with England, and you want to revalidate your license or gain additional CPD to your fan profile, just make sure when you do complete that, you put your correct fan number with your details around your email and your reflections, and we submit that to the Middlesex FA, and that's where you'll be eligible for that additional CPD. So for tonight, it's one hour. Every event is an hour up until the webinar, which is classed as two. Yeah, just on that, guys, uh, your CPD will probably be updated at the back end of the month. Um, so if you complete this one and, it, and, you've, and you put your task in, please bear with us. Um, everything will be submitted at the end of the month. So hopefully within the first week but or latest by the second week of November, it should be reflected onto your fan, fan accounts. Um, but yeah, as Gerard said, guys, you know, we're here every week. Uh, just to clarify, it's 8 p.m. UK time. Um, and just really just make sure you're following us, t t touch touch base with us, let us know your thoughts in the conversation. If there's any future topics that you want to hear discussed on the sh on the spaces, then please let us know that. Uh, we'll be attaching the links to the CPD tasks, um, as well as upcoming webinars that we've got. So we've got one coming up at the start of November, or sorry, at the back end of October, rather, on creating a coaching model. And then we've got another highly anticipated one taking place at the start of December on preparing for your UEFA B license. So anyone that's kind of thinking about going onto it, who's just got onto it, uh, you know, congratulations if you have. You know, feel free to kind of touch base with us and find out some further details on how to access that. And we'll be unpacking some stuff in terms of hopefully that will prepare you guys, if you're not already there, on what to look out for, what to think about us in preparation for the UEFA B license. But Gerard, you know, it's been another, it's been a pleasure again. Great evening, great conversations, great, great thank you, especially for all the people that have participated. And whether you're here just listening whether you've managed to join us up on stage and speak the space is always there for you guys so if you're not feeling confident to do that next time don't worry drop us a message we're more than happy to share your thoughts but i think it's great to see so many new faces in here for in particular um i think it's just a testament to, to everyone here you know that you know, how much commitment you've got to your own personal professional development and you know just like i said just join us keep 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 this journey going keep the community growing we're here for all we're all here for the same reasons um just going to get better at coaching. So, Gerard, have a great evening, mate. Everyone else, take care. See you later. Take care. Have a good one, guys. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission 
right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.